Welcome to Woody Online. Thank you for tuning in to one of our pre-recorded services. Our community is based in Cardiff and we meet every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. If you're ever in the area, we'd love to see you there. We hope you enjoy this week's message and that it inspires and blesses you. Hello, my name's Annabelle and I'm one of the leaders at Woody. Welcome to Woody Online. Today we're finishing the first chapter of 2 Peter, looking at verses 16 to 21. I'm focusing on verses 19 onwards, but it's important that we read them in context, so I'll read from verse 16. But first, let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to hear what you want to say to us today from these verses. Amen. Okay, so let's read. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the context for our verses, which we're going to focus in on prophecy, are that Peter is remembering in verse 16 when he was an eyewitness to Christ's majesty when he saw the event of what we call the transfiguration. He's reminding his readers that when he talks about Christ, he's not just following a story that someone made up, but he was actually there. And in this passage, he is specifically talking about how the transfiguration revealed that Jesus was in fact the Messiah, God's son, the real deal. So let's read that passage in Mark 9. It goes like this. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them. And a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. So that's the account in Mark of the actual transfiguration. And Peter actually heard God's voice. Now, we don't have that experience to rely on in quite the same way. But we do have something that we can rely on that tells us that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah, the one who will come back in glory on the day of judgment Verse 19 says, and we have the word of the prophets made more reliable. Or in a different NIV version, it says, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. The transfiguration was something that was 
sort of mind-blowing, obviously, for Peter, um, James and John who were there. It was really the absolute um, evidence to them that Jesus was not just a man, that he was God, that he was the Messiah. And their understanding will have meant that they knew that that means he would come back. Um, there's you know, lots of prophecy about the second coming as well. And the whole transfiguration experience backed up and confirmed and made more certain the message that had been prophesied to them and to us through hundreds of years beforehand by the Old Testament. The message that a Messiah is coming, that God's son is going to come back a second time in full glory and majesty, like he did on the mountain that day. And that will be the day of judgment. And Peter says, you will do well to pay attention to it. When he says, we have the word of the prophets, he's talking about the whole church. He's not just talking about himself or about Peter, James and John. He's talking about everyone. We have access to the Old Testament scriptures. And here he is specifically relating it to the prophecies about who Jesus is and including his second coming. And that confirms what the apostles saw on the mount when they saw Jesus in all his glory. So that event is couched in, you know, hundreds of years of, of prophecy. There is an expectation throughout the Bible that we will be able to know and discuss God's word and that this is irrespective of intellectual ability. Children are included, for example. The word is an incredible thing, which is so very deep at times, but also so very simple at times. Deuteronomy 6 verses 6 to 7 says, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Psalm 1 verse 1 to 2 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. Everyone can understand the Bible and should expect to understand it, because it itself brings light. Jesus himself assumed that people would read and understand the Old Testament. He quotes it often. And in fact, he never blames the text itself for being unclear, but rather people for not heeding it. For example, in Matthew 22, verse 29, it says, Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures. And he makes many other comments along those lines. In the New Testament, Paul writes to whole congregations, not just to leaders, and these were often groups of new, non-Jewish believers with no background in Israelite culture. The expectation for us all is that we will read and understand and discuss the scriptures that we have been given. You will do well to pay attention to it, says Peter. So let's practice what I'm preaching and spend some time now looking at the prophecies in the Old Testament that we have about Jesus. Scholars reckon there are between 300 and 570 prophecies about him. I guess it depends on how specific they're being, but either way, there are many. <laughs> A quick Google search will give you all the verse references, so I'm not going to do that, but here are just some of the things 
that the prophets foretold about Jesus hundreds of years before his birth. They said that his ministry would include Gentiles, it would also include miracles and would set captives free. It said that he would have a forerunner with the spirit of Elijah, which was John the Baptist. He would be despised, rejected, forsaken and scorned, abandoned and killed. Jerusalem would rejoice as the Messiah entered on a donkey. He would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. He would be lifted up and his blood spilt, but no bones broken. His hands and feet would be pierced. They would cast lots for his clothing. He would be quiet before his accusers. His thirst would be quenched with water and gall. He would rise from the dead and ascend to heaven and pour out his spirit. He would come from the line of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob with blessing and covenant. He would come from the line of Judah with a scepter. He would come from the line of David with an everlasting kingdom. It would be a virgin birth. The Messiah would spend time in Egypt after being born in Bethlehem. His ministry would start in Galilee and would destroy the devil's work. He would live a sinless life and come to end sin. He would be humbled and sacrificed like a Passover lamb. He would preach righteousness and teach in parables. His message would fall on deaf ears and cause some people to stumble. The Old Testament points to and prophesies about Jesus over and over again. Peter Stoner was a maths professor who wrote a book called Science Speaks and you can uh, Google him to find out more. But to sort of summarise, in it he calculated that for just eight prophecies about one man to come true, the chances would be one in 10 to the power of 17, which would be like covering the whole of Texas in coins too deep and then asking someone to randomly blindfolded select the one marked coin among them. 16 prophecies would increase the odds to enough coins to make a ball extending 30 times as far as from here to the sun. And we have many more than 16 prophecies about Jesus. We have the word of the prophets made more certain and you will do well to pay attention to it. In other words, know your Bible and believe he is the Messiah. Peter says we're to pay attention to the word as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. There's a sense here that we have the scriptures to cling on to for now, but one day we won't even need them as we'll have Jesus himself and it'll be patently obvious that he's the Messiah. When we're without knowledge, it's as if we're in the dark, but the word brings us light. The Bible is God's idea. He delights to reveal himself and relate with us. And we must always read it in that way, not for head knowledge, but to hear what our loving Heavenly Father wants to say to us personally. The word dark here in the Greek means dark, dirty and squalid. That's a good description of the world and the word brings light into our hearts, helps us understand the word itself, helps us understand God, helps us understand our place with God and our place in the world. Until the day dawns means until Jesus comes back. 
he will be light itself. And so when he comes back in glory, it will be like a new day dawning, like nothing we've ever seen, or at least just what we've seen shadows of as we watch beautiful sunrises. And the morning star is a name for Jesus himself. In Revelation 22, verse 16, Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright morning star. When he rises in our hearts, we won't need scripture anymore, as we'll be with Jesus himself. You will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. I hope you're feeling encouraged and excited as we've considered the context of this passage, the transfiguration, and how the eyewitnesses have told us that Jesus is the Messiah, the one coming back with a new kingdom but also that the prophets had already said it and we should pay attention to that and that we have so many prophecies that help us believe that he is in fact the one who is coming back in glory and majesty to put things right and that the scriptures are a light shining in a dark place until that day dawns and Jesus, the morning star, rises in our hearts. But the observant among you will notice that Peter adds on a couple of verses after this almost like an aside, but a very important one, about prophecy and scripture and answering the question of who wrote it. This is a really important question. If we're going to set such stock by these prophecies, then it stands to reason that we ought to be confident about their origin. After all, Peter has a lot to say about false prophets in this book, and we need to make sure we're not just following false teaching. So he says in verses 20 to 21, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. There are two slightly different readings of where it says no prophecy came about by the prophet's own interpretation. One way to read this is that we mustn't interpret scripture subjectively and in isolation from other people, but in community and objectively. And this relates well to the general context of the letter about false teachers, and it's good advice. But the other way to read it is that it's saying that it wasn't people themselves that made up the Bible, and it goes on to talk about the origin not being in man's will. And I think both readings, whichever way you read it, it's valid and it's helpful. The question here really is, how do we know that the Bible is God's word? Here I am banging on about how we should all read it and discuss it and so on. But how do we know that it is our authority? Well, let's unpack that a bit now and then perhaps we can look at this more in a Sunday Q&A session. So as a church, we believe that all the words in scripture are God's words. Firstly, because this is what the Bible claims about itself. Today's verse is being a prime example. But more crucially, perhaps, the Holy Spirit convicts us of this as we read the word. When we read it and we see that it rings true to what we see in the world and about ourselves, this shows us that it is divine. And when we have the lovely experience of God using a specific portion to talk to us in a specific way at a specific time, in just the way we needed, we see that it is a supernatural book. 
It's historically accurate and it's internally consistent. And we've already talked about the incredible prophecies fulfilled by it. But it's fair to recognise that there is a circular argument here as well, in that if God is our highest authority, then appealing to logic, reason or accuracy is kind of by the by because God's above that. We believe the Bible is God's word because he said so, but we, we believe he said so because we believe it's his word. So this is why our lived experience of it being a light for us is important as well. Now, there's more that we can discuss here, um, which you know perhaps we'll do um, face to face one day. In terms of how rather than who, verse 21 says, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So God used humans to write the Bible and they were carried along by the Spirit as they were doing so, a bit like a ship being carried along by the wind in its sails. God didn't dictate every word. It's not the process, but the result that's God's word. Sometimes God did dictate what was to be written, however. For example, Revelation 2 verse 8 says, To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. So, you know, in that instance, in Revelation, God told John exactly what to write. But he also spoke in other ways too. Hebrews 1 verse 1 says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Sometimes the Bible is genealogies or historical facts or historical research, such as Luke. In Luke chapter 1, verse 1 to 4, it says, or Luke says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So Luke researched, talked to eyewitnesses and then wrote his historical account. There are also examples of dreams, of visions, like in Ezekiel, um, of hearing God's voice, like Mary, and of observing Jesus, like the apostles. And sometimes we just don't know how it was written. But we do know that God used the author and their personality and their experiences and their weaknesses and their intellect to bring about the words that God wanted. So what should we do with this knowledge? Well, back to Peter's words again. You will do well to pay attention to it. Are you reading the word regularly? And are you reading it with confidence that you will understand it? Are you expecting God to speak to you through it every day? There are many ways to engage with the word. There's Bible apps on your phone. There's daily reading notes with explanations. There's Bible studies in church and life groups and so on. If you'd like help to get started or to get more into reading the Bible, please do ask me. I would love to help. And now let's pray. Father, thank you for your precious word that has been given to us uh, in such a wonderful way. We thank you for the people that have translated it through the years. 
into so many languages. And I pray that you would help us to uh, value it and engage with it so that we can engage with you. Amen. Have a great week, everyone. I hope that uh, that's been interesting for you. If you'd like to get in touch in any way, then uh, please do through the usual channels and uh, I look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks for tuning in to Woody Online. We hope this week's message has inspired and blessed you. If you're ever in Cardiff, we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services at 10.30 a.m. Don't forget to check the show notes below for our contact details. We'd love to hear from you. Be sure to tune in again next week for more inspiring content. We look forward to connecting with you soon.